Listeners, today I'm joined by Jada and Emma, two marvelous students from Southern Vermont, and the three of us share our love of picture books. The art, the messages, the emotions, the relatability, the art. So we're going to be asking you to listen to this episode with both your ears and your eyes in some capacity. And hey, all this art we talk about is also available in the transcript to this show at vtedreads.tarrantinstitute.org. Also, there are pies. I should mention the pies. I had such a lovely time talking with both Jada and Emma, and I hope this conversation makes you, too, think of your favorite picture book, what you got from it, and how it helped shape you as a learner. One content note. One of the picture books and our discussion around it deals with animal death. We understand if that's not a topic everyone's comfortable with. This is Vermont Ed Reads, a podcast by, for, and with Vermont educators. I'm Jeannie Phillips. Let's chat. Thank you so much for joining me, Jada and Emma. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Hi, Jeannie and listeners. I'm Jada Greeley, and I love picture books and reading. Hi, my name is Emma, and I love writing and reading. I um, I like to read fantasy, fiction, and romance books. Three readers talking about books. Nothing could make me happier, folks, the three of us having this conversation. Thank you so much. Do you have some books you'd recommend for our listeners of any kind? Yes. Um, I would recommend, these are picture books, and then I'll get into, like, chapter books, but Journey is a wordless book with pictures, but it has such a deep meaning. Heart in the Bottle, The Undefeated. I am just read... Um, American Royals, which is a romance book, and Harry Potter. How about you, Jada? What would you recommend? Um, I think for picture books, all Patricia Polacco books um, are really, really good books uh, for all ages. And a poem book, Woke, is a really strong book about social justice and other books than picture books. I don't know I read a lot of different kinds of books but lately I really liked A Good Kind of Trouble which is another social justice book or Percy Jackson also it's a fantasy book those are fabulous recommendations listeners we'll put links to those books suggested by Emma and Jada in the transcript and A Girl at Heart what's that one a Girl at Heart. It's very cool. A Girl at Heart. I'm collecting all these and I'll make sure to find the direct links so our listeners can find them too. Thank you for adding to my summer reads list. I appreciate that. Well, we chose um, four picture books that y'all have been using in your classroom and that you loved. And we're going to talk about them one by one. This is our first time doing four books in one episode. It's our first time talking about picture books. And I love picture books. So I'm really excited about this episode. So the first one we're going to discuss is called Something Happened in Our Town, a child's story about racial injustice. It's written by Marianne Seleno, Marietta Collins, and Anne Hazard with illustrations by Jennifer Zavoin. Boy, I hope I'm pronouncing those names correctly. I did my best. Um, So 
Uh, could you tell me a little bit about what this book is about, mm-hmm. Emma? This book is about the aftermath of a Black American who was shot by a white police officer. This story shows harsh reality through two kids' questions and their fight to be inclusive and aware of their community and their actions. So uh, thank you for that. That, um, I was really intrigued by this book because you don't, somebody gets shot, a black man gets shot by a police officer, but that doesn't happen within the pages of the book. The book happens after the media have covered that. It's been on TV and radio and the internet. And these kids who, I don't know, what grade would you think they were, Emma? Third? Yeah, I would say like third, second, third, fourth. They're younger. They're on the younger side. Mm -hmm. They've clearly heard it either on the radio or on TV, or they've heard people talking about it. And they have so many questions. Mm -hmm. Who do they ask their questions to? They ask their parents. So we actually read another book, and I'm going to, this is off script, but... um, we read another book and the child did ask their parents, but the parents wouldn't tell them. The mom was very like against telling them. And I looked at the back of this book and it said this was aimed for kids four to eight. And I was very surprised because usually books like this with like heavier topics aren't for younger kids. So, Do you think it's important that there's a book out here for talking about things like this that kids might hear about that are that young? I think it's important for kids, but I don't know about fourth through eight. I think kids, there's an age, maybe fourth or fifth grade um, to start learning about social justice and kind of becoming aware. Yeah. What do kids do with those questions though if they hear about it and they don't know what to do? Um, I think kids will, some kids will search for answers with their parents. I don't know if all kids will. Maybe they'll ask their friends or someone they trust. Mm-hmm. Someone they trust, Jada? Maybe their sibling. Yeah. Their older sibling. So this book is told from these two very different perspectives. One's of a, a young white girl who's trying to understand, and the other is of a young black boy. Why do you think these authors, there are three authors, why do you think they offered both of these perspectives? I think the authors did that to show diversity and that it doesn't matter what your skin color is, they're still right and wrong. I also think they did this to show both children have questions, but both parents might have different perspectives and different answers. Do you think the two children in this um, book experienced this event differently when they heard about it? Landed in their bodies and their brains differently? Yes, I think that the young girl maybe hadn't ever heard of the, I don't think both of them had ever heard of something like this before, but I think the young white, the young girl was very like shocked and unaware of that this could happen, that a police officer would do this. And I think the young boy was confused. And I think because his dad and his brother mentioned that this could happen to them, I think he was maybe a little more scared because I don't think the young girl kind of um, thought that this could happen to her. But I think the young boy like really understood like this could be me one day. And I think that would kind of just snap him into reality. Like this is happening and I need to take action. 
Yeah. Oh, I really appreciate that answer. Jada, is there anything you want to answer, add to it? Um, I think also why is because it, like Emma said, with the two different perspectives, but the boy, but instead of having to be like wave to the police officer and say, hello, maybe he would think about it more. If I wave my hand, will they think that I'm doing something wrong or I'm doing something bad to them? But then the white girl thinks, oh, one of my people did that. Like another white person did that. Does that mean I will turn out like that? Because, because I'm white too, because I think Yes, black people do live in fear, but I think white people sometimes could live in fear of themselves. Well, I turn bad like the police officers. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. That's so powerful to think about how um, the impact is different, but it's heavy. Um, what happened when Ms. Bates read this book with you all in the classroom? Um, we had it. So we have been working on a social justice unit and we read these books at snack time. Um, every day we read one book and we were working on social justice in the classroom. And we, after the book, Ms. Bates doesn't really like tell us like, this is how it relates to the community. We have a discussion and we talk about, you know, um, this is happening right now. And, you know, we talk about what the children's perspectives might be. And um, we talk about really like what this means today and how this book is important for learning and how we can use this book to kind of grasp a knowledge of community and current events. And so how did that discussion go? I mean, were people in agreement? Were there any, was there any discord or any disagreement? Was it tense? Was it easy? Did people have lots to say? What happened when you all discussed it? I think we were all somewhat in agreement. I think we all have different things to say about this and different perspectives. I think there is not one right answer or one um, view of this book. You, there can be many. Um, and our class is really good at picking up the theme and the meaning behind things. And so we did have I don't, I don't think anyone really disagreed with people because we've been studying this for so long. It's not like one person said, this doesn't relate to anything or one person said, you know, this is unimportant, right? We all agreed, you know, this is happening and this is a very important subject to focus in on. I see, thank you for that MIC Jada shaking her head. Yes, that's true, that's what happened. Um, uh, did, did it inspire y'all to do anything? Did it lead to anything else? Or, or is there something you would like to use this book for in the future? Um, we didn't. So we have, we've been doing poetry and we do um, poems every Wednesday because we have remote. And usually we write social, or I know I usually write social justice poems. Um, and we share all our thoughts through those. And we have a poem circle, which is honestly one of my favorite parts of just like the week, our poem circles, because everyone has grown so much and we just have so many powerful things to say, like talking about 
police officer shootings, but it's also important to note that police not all police officers are bad. So we can't generalize. And we can't generalize black people from white people because you can't generalize a group of people because no one is ever the same. And so I think that like these books and the realization of our community really leads to our poems and then we share and we talk about them. We Wow, how do I get invited to a poem circle sharing? I, I wanna. Hey, if I, I'm sure if I ask Ms. Bates, she'll, she'll mm -hmm. we'll, we'll Zoom you and you can listen to all our poems. Oh, I, think, yes. I would love that so much. I think it would be very fun because our, our poem, we've grown so much in poetry. Um, just, and we share all our thoughts through this, so it's very. Yeah. One of the sixth grade uh they're pretty powerful poems if you yeah. ask me you could you could publish your own volume like woke sure. yes for at the end of the year we're having a poetry book which i'm really excited about wow i would love to see the connections between the books see if i could find them um that would be so powerful for me and one of the things i heard you say emma was that um, when we make generalizations based on groups of people those are really stereotypes really is what you're saying right and that that's yes. really dangerous territory yes um we make stereotypes and we group people together because that's what our brain um, does. I actually just got a book on stereotypes and it's about how our brain groups different groups of people. This is a mask. Like our brain does that to kind of, right? So our brain does that for us to make sense of the world around us versus like being lost, which is, it's also who you've grown up around. If your parents are stereotypical and they stereotype people, and they make generalizations and they're racist. Yeah. Oof, you could teach a class on this. I, um, I know we're all growing up in a racist society, right? And so it's hard, we all ha have internalized that to some degree. And in some ways that means, okay, we've got work to do another. It's, so, it's not necessarily our individual fault that we've grown up in a racist society, but it is our duty to sort of uncover that and get underneath of yeah. that. You're both smiling at me. Jane, I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem about that. Uh, I think that was it. It yeah. was, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, that was the one quote that I used. So what I usually do for my poems, I put, I do like one really strong line, and then I use that throughout the poem as repetition. And then the ending was like, so make, so let your child make their own tree. And it was, yeah. Okay. I, I really liked that poem. Would each of you share a poem with me that we could embed in the transcript so our, our listeners and readers can experience you as poets? Okay. Email me your poems later and we'll put them in the transcript. I want, I can't wait to experience your poetical voices. That would be fun. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Should, so she should have. Okay. Do you think um, do you think other teachers should use something happened in our town in their classrooms? Would you recommend it? Yes, totally. It's it's such a powerful piece, especially to introduce the social injustice to people and to children, because it's kind of brought down to a level where I think children could understand it versus it being harsh, like and just raw facts, like like some other he, books, like. Well, we're going to move on to another book, and it's a book I adore. I mean, I love this book with my whole heart. It's called We Are Water Protectors. 
It's written by Carol Lindstrom and it's illustrated by Michaela Goad. And um, one of the things, I don't know if you knew this, but one of the things I love about it is that it's the first book ever to win the Caldecott model that was written and illustrated by an indigenous writer and illustrator team. I was aware that it was the first fully indigenous written and illustrated book in, to win the Caldecott. Miss Bates mentioned it when we first read the book, and I think it's absolutely amazing. But I also think that it's crazy that it's been this long, right? It's been so long, or it's this is only the first time. So I can hope there's more to come, but uh, something like that to happen. It's like, what were you waiting for, right, Jada? <laughs> so there's so many amazing books that are written by Indigenous people. So I think. Um, by winning the Caldecott, it can open more eyes to the wonders of the indigenous world of books. So what did this book mean to you? Um, what this book meant to me is that there, everyone has an effect on the world, good and bad. And not only does your action have effect on the earth, but also people. Well, let's stop for a minute, Jada. Let's stop and just tell people what the story is about so that they know in case they okay. haven't read it. So it's about this one indigenous girl who and a pipe, a black pipe gets implanted near her ground where her tribe lives. And she uh, and it will like go and goes in the pipe leads into the water. So, and so she has, she's trying to protect the water from the oil, uh, from the pipe. I think it, it, it refers to the book mm -hmm. is like a black snake. Yes. Ah. The pipe starts, the pipe since it's so long leaks into the ground. Mm -hmm. So it gets, eventually gets into the water, which she has to protect. Yeah, it's actually the Dakota Access Pipeline, which has been in the news a lot, right? And there were a lot of, um, um, activists trying to fight that pipe being built for this very reason, right? Because it's not, it's going to harm the water. What else is going to be harmed when the water's harmed? Animals and oh yeah, there's just like a bunch of animals. And in this book, the, I think the illustrations in this book uh, are absolutely breathtaking. Like one of the pictures in there, it was the water that was infected and the fish trying to swim away from it, but the water that was touching the fish, you could see like all of the bones and the fish and then the rest of it was like colorful. So it was like almost like it was like making all the fish, obviously it was making the fish die. Right, what I hear you saying is that the, the story is powerful, but the, the illustrations give it even more power because it shows the impact, the devastation that comes from this, um, the black snake in the book, the, the, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, the other thing I really appreciated about, about this book, well, many things, is that this young woman, the, the narrator of the story is quite young, but she has power, right? She's doing something. She's taking action. She has agency. It Did you know that too? Do every, uh, anything an adult could do and more because adults, they're more, now it's like the the, the Gen Z, I think, the Gen, mm -hmm. Z, Gen Z generation, um, 
they've grown up knowing that they can do everything, but maybe some of our parents or their parents grew up thinking, oh, adults are all superior and I'm inferior to them. But this girl obviously thinks that she can do anything and everything, but she can't. She has an important role as an activist in her community, right? Because she's working with the elders and the people in her community to stand up against the pipeline. Because everything, everybody has to come together and be unitized if you want to truly get rid of something or truly get it done, get something done. Did you, did this connect with your learning in some way? Did it show up in your poetry? Did it connect with something you were doing in the classroom? Did it inspire you? It, it did really inspire me actually. Um, it showed me that I have an impact on this world, but it also showed me that it doesn't matter what age I am at, age I am, doesn't matter where I came from, it just matters that I'm doing something. It matters that I'm doing something about things that I think are wrong. I'm not just sitting there and watching it happen because she, the girl in the story, she could have just watched and let everybody else do the work, but she did the work herself too. Yeah. So one of the, the, the pages that I love the most in this book, um, there are, I think, three um, pages throughout the book that have similar lines. And they say, we stand with our songs and our drums. We are still here. And the reason this was important to me is that when I was growing up, when I was coming up, when um, we talked about Native Americans or Native people, um, we portrayed them like they were in the past. The Cherokee were, or the, you know, the Lakota were, and like they were past tense. And I think it's um, really powerful uh, that this book shows Native people in the present um, as engaged uh, humans fighting and advocating for the natural world um, because it um, contradicts often what we're taught in school, which is to think about Native people only in history. And I wondered if that was new for you. It was new to me. Uh, it, it showed me that the Native American or the indigenous people history is still being written. Um, it's still happening today and they're still present. Uh, they're, they're just because they're, and I think it's still important to keep their history alive, but I think it's important to also notice what's happening now too. Not yeah. only what happened back then because they're still important now today. One of my um, one of my friends who I've had on this podcast is named Judy Dow, and she's a Benaki or Abenaki, so she's an indigenous person from Vermont, um, and she is one of the most vocal people I know in terms of the environment and sustainability and taking care of the natural world in Vermont. And so I think it's also amazing that um, Carol Lindstrom and Michaela Goad are um, showing us that. Native people can lead the way um, in protecting this, 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 this particular place that is really theirs mm -hmm. still. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what else I wanted to do with this book? What? 
I wanted to take it to art class and learn to, <laughs> to like to try to make some illustrations as beautiful as these are. Yes, I need some art classes by Michelle Gold. Yes. <laughs> the 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 illustration illustrations not only though is it a very powerful book but the illustrations are the like prettiest and my, probably my favorite out of all of the illustrations of the picture books that we've read like i was reading this book as we were practicing this with emma or and i kept stopping like every two seconds and i was like emma look at this picture like this is so cool like emma this is so cool right um there was like a couple pages like i would put all of these pictures and give its own art museum because it deserves it or like yes this was one of the pictures i really liked oh i know that's beautiful i want that on my wall and the cool colors uh i really like how it contrasts with yeah that's the page i was talking about with the bones but um the it's all cool colors until you were either talking about like a good focal point or the snake the snake is the only really bright yeah like like bright hot colored thing in the book which shows that it really is damage to the cool peaceful colors yeah, red, the color of hate, maybe, and and anger, right, is is the uh, surrounds the snake every time. Oh, so powerful. We'll put a couple snapshots from the book into the um, transcript, but folks, you just need to get a copy. It's so good. And the last page also asks us to sign a pledge to be stewards for the earth and water protectors. I also appreciated that and the poem-like nature of it. Would you like to read that last page aloud, Jada? Earth steward and water protector pledge. I will do my best to honor Mother Earth and all of its living beings, including the water in the land. I will always remember to treat the earth as I would like to be treated. I will treat the winged ones, the crawling ones, the four-legged, the two-legged, the plants, trees, rivers, lakes, the earth with kindness and respect. I pledge to make this earth, this world a better place by being a steward of the earth and protector of the water. Mm -hmm. yeah, this, yeah, I think a good part of all of these picture books is that they, the authors know. The authors know and like the end pages are always really, really powerful in books with like social justice and even like books, like silly books or anything. The, Alfie's note is always one of my favorite parts. I love that you're pointing out for people who are who are new to using picture books in the middle grades or, or even high school classroom is pay attention to those end papers. Pay attention to the author's notes yeah, and the about the authors. Over them, so. Looking back at the book, um, Emma took the lead on talking about there's a whole note to parents and caregivers in the last that. There's a whole note and it's about what children might be thinking and then how to kind of, if it's a bad thing or like racist thing, you know, that's not okay. That's not how we think. And that's not what, not okay at all. Yeah. Emma, did you want to add anything about We Are Water Protectors before we uh, start talking about Ida Always? 
I think Jada said a lot of good points. I, um, the water protectors are really, the earth needs protecting, you know, climate change and we are ruining the earth and we need to, this, we only have one earth and we need to protect it and make sure that we're gonna live here for more years than scientists are thinking we're going to. Yeah. It's now where it all disappears. Thanks for that. Whew. So our next book is really different, but it's also a little bit heavy. It's, it's called Sad. Oh, those sad faces you just made. It's called Ida Always. It's by Karen. I wonder if her name is Levis. Levis? Levis? How would you say Karen's last name? Levis. Levis. It looks like almost like Levi's. Yeah. Levis. I would say Levis because there's no um vowel at the end to make it levis but i thought i don't know Oops. love this that makes sense i don't know we're karen, gonna go with that karen we're sorry if we're getting it wrong i don't always by karen levis and charles santoso Ooh, for me this book made me cry i had a lot of grief it's been a year of grief anyway and so i wondered if you could just summarize what's happening in this book emma ida always is about two bears named gus and ida who live in a zoo they represent the epitome of friendship. One day, Ida falls sick, but Gus's character realization and development help us to understand that our loved ones don't need to be present to be with us. This time period where Gus is alone shows us that Gus will be okay, and he, and he will have Ida in his heart, always. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of, I used to be a school librarian. I don't know if Ms. Bates told you that, but I remember there would be times when something hard would happen. I was in my school actually just down the road from you Chester Andover Elementary and teachers would say hey do you have any books about death and dying and I found myself wishing that this book had been on the shelf because it's the kind of book that can help you sort of talk about or uh, deal with grief mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. shows that other people and even animals can feel the same way that you do and that yeah. alone, and that our loved ones will be with us even after they pass. Yeah, it's also about community, right? Because Gus doesn't deal with Ida dying on his own; he gets some help by his um, the people at the zoo. Yeah, and even after Ida dies, even people who visit the zoo in the larger community are expressing their their sadness and their. Well, there's a newspaper article, "Goodbye, Ida." Yeah. So do you see any connections from this book to your sense of community in, in Ludlow? Um, I feel like this should be a good reminder for communities because Gus's character is always there for Ida and helps her when she's on her deathbed. So communities, I feel like if communities aren't doing this, should really learn from this book and, you know, stick by their neighbors, stick with them. And if they're in a rough time, you know, help them. And... Do you feel like Vermonters are good at that? Do you think we're good at helping each other out and supporting uh, um, communities? From the people that I've met, honestly, like I moved here because of COVID. So there's not many people that I've met, but the people that I have met, like the school and the other people are so nice and giving. Jada, um, <laughs> best friend. Okay. Um, yeah, just like the first day of school, I remember this distinctly. Someone came up to me from my class and goes, do you want to be friends? And then like, 
I just like, I met Jada and then we're just, it wasn't me. I wasn't excited that she moved here at first. <laughs> that was, the, that's, that's a fun fact. I was like, I don't want any more kids here. You're so sad. No, you're so but, mean. but now I hang out with her all the time. So I'm glad she did. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the uh, I love the honesty here, and also um, that you and uh, you two are a little like Ida and Gus, right? You're like buddies, right? And not one of us is gonna die soon. No, that not that part, but just that you're good friends, and that you sure. like. I bet I can imagine you just like Gus comes out of his cave and goes looking for Ida. You want you probably show up at school and look for each other. No. Yeah, I go mm-hmm. to school early because um, my stepmom, she gets here. She's a teacher. No, well, she's like a para thing here. Mm-hmm. So she works here. So I get here early and I'm always like, hmm, I wonder when I'm going to come. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to allude. Neither of you is sick. No. We're good, right? We're all healthy and good. Yeah. Okay, good. So the author's note in this book tells us a little more about the story. Like we said earlier, the importance of reading the author's note. Do you want to do you want to share what the author's note said? Yes, I'll read it and then should I share my thoughts on it? Yes, please. Okay. Um, Ida always is an ex- exquisitely told story of two best friends inspired by a real bear friendship and a gentle moving needed reminder that loved ones loss will stay in our hearts always. So this is an incredible story of um, friendship and the realization that this is true shocks me. It makes me wish I was there to witness the two bears um, because even just reading this, it shows me how strong their friendship was, sadly past tense. I would love to look for more stories like this one because it's a truly heartwarming tale. Yeah. I, um, I was really loved that the author had found this story in the newspaper and decided to write a fictional version of it. And it made me think like stories are all around us, just like you all are finding stories and um, turning them into poems. Yes, um, there's these stories. Um, I lived in New York City and my parents were at like work buildings when 9-11 hit and they could see like smoke and fire and like smoke rising up from the Twin Towers. And there's these stories of people who slept in late because the big game or took their children to school and didn't get to work that day on 9-11. And it's just heartwarming to like hear that. Like, you know, these people could have died, but instead they're, instead they're alive. And so, yeah. Have you done any story finding? Have you noticed any stories you think that would make a great picture book? I don't think we, I don't think we have. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yet is the important word. <laughs> we'll find one and we're going to write something. How did Ms. Bates, your teacher, connect this book to your learning? Or how did you all as students do that? So, yeah, so she, we had a book discussion on this and we kind of, talked about our literary skills and just skills and kind of, hold on, can I do that again? Sorry. Yeah, hey Audrey, we're gonna start that again. Do you want me to ask the question again? Uh, yes, please, sure, okay. 
How did Ms. Bates connect um, Ida always, or how did you as students connect it to your learning? Well, I think it's very important for kids to really learn, you know, find that person that's going to be with them, with, it's going to, who's going to be with you to the end, who's going to be with you always, and Ida always, who's going to be with you, and who's going to take care of you, and who, you know, there's an important part, like, where sometimes Gus needs time alone, and sometimes Ida does too. But at the end of the day, they'll always come back to each other. Mm -hmm. So I think life is messy, but I think we can connect this, like, these, find your forever person. Like, you surround yourself with good people and, you know, they truly care for you. Yeah. They truly want to be around you. There's some yeah. people who will hang out with you. To use or, you. To use you or just to have this company when their friend is gone, when their true person is gone. Yeah. So. It feels to me like there's a theme here about being in good relationship. Like what you said about Gus and Ida needing time away sometimes and um, mm -hmm. Gus not needing to feel guilty because Ida's sick, but just being there for her. It's about like, how do we have a good relationship and take care of each other and that give and take, right? And similarly, we are water protectors is about being in good relation with the earth, right? Like taking care of the earth because it takes care of you. And even something happened in our town has something about relationships, right? And like, who do we ask when things are confusing? And how do we understand our impact on the world? And they did understand it. And at, in the end, they included the little boy because they knew, because people were excluding him and they kind of were like, this is not right. Yes, I forgot about that part of the book. We're jumping back to the, the, the first book we discussed, but you're right. They learned something about how to have better relationships and be better in community that they applied at the end. Let's not give it away. Well, we won't spoil the ending. Okay. Uh, did I have one more question about Ida always. Did Ms. Bates cry when she read it to you? I don't think she did. Um, no. Some of the kids in the class did. I, I did. I, I definitely cried. Um, yeah, I did cry because I'm a very emotional person and I read a lot of books and I did, I've read a lot of books for a class that I've cried. And so I just cry when I read books, but this book definitely just hit a spot because I feel like it's a good reminder. Like, you know, someone dies and I feel like I almost, I tried to do this when people die. Like I try and remember that they'll be in your heart, but sometimes it's hard. And so this book is really like, you know, they're going to be with you forever. And you have to, you have to savor the time that they'll be with you instead of moping around and being sad. But you have to also remember them in a good way. But it's also, it also gives you think it's okay. It also shows you that it's okay to grieve. Um, what's his name? Gus. Gus. He... He did grieve for Ida when she, she mm -hmm. was gone. Uh, he was sad, but not forever. But not forever. He was still happy and remembered the days that she was there. And his favorite, with her what, favorite yellow ball. Right. 
he probably remembered that she would want him to be happy. She yeah. would want him to play with the yellow ball. That was her favorite to keep her memory alive, but also to still have fun. Yeah. Like they used to have together. I cried when I read that book. And if I had read it aloud to y'all, I would have cried. And that would be okay. Yes. It's okay. Crying cry. is okay. We're going to move to laughter, though. Yes, yes. Billy's Burger. Honestly, it's kind of good that you put Ida always then Billy's Burger so we can get, like, from the deep, dark stuff and then kind of make it a little bit lighter. Okay, <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know that I planned it that way, but I'm glad you see it that way. Tell me a little bit about Billy's Booger, a memoir, sort of, by William Joyce and his younger self. And maybe you can start by saying, why do you think the author included his younger self in his um in his by. I think by including the author's younger self, he can show the more raw emotion that he felt when he was younger. And um, it shows that over time, things can change. Like now, like now he's older, he realizes that, oh yes, it, uh, it's okay not always to win, even if, something like in Billy's Booger when people are like, oh yeah, this book is awesome. I can't believe how it didn't win, even though that's okay, you know, even if people don't. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think there's also, by the way, this book has the best end papers, but um, <laughs> these, these. Yes, the end papers. Yes, the <laughs> that gave the principle, I think they were. But there's also a book within this book. And so the outside book might be written by, uh, William Joyce, but then inside book is written by Billy. Yes. It's a good, it's, the inside book is a good book, I'll say. And it's very entertaining. Right. Our whole class <laughs> yeah. out laughing. There's uh, this thing that's called pies, and it's like, it's either, the book is either to persuade, enter, inform, inform entertain, entertain, and, and then sell. sell. So I think this book was mostly to entertain, but it also was to inform you that it's okay to lose. But, yeah, and to persuade you to be cre creative. creative. Right. In each book, there's a little bit of each, but I think, yeah, this book was really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. It's a nice, it's a good book that has still has a good message, but it's also a good book that you could just read without having to go too deep into it. Yeah, because William Joyce, or Billy in the book, he's a kid and, um, he loves comic books and he's very, very imaginative. Like imagination is everything for him, but he does not do so well in school, right? How does this pr principal refer to him? Uh, the most, his most challenging kid. Uh, or his most <laughs> challenging student, which I think Billy takes as a compliment, but I'm not sure the principal meant it as a compliment. <laughs> Nope. And at the end of the book, it says, uh, like, good job, or sends a note home, and it's like, Billy, you're still my most challenging student, because he, know, he knows Billy uh, takes it as a compliment. Yeah. So poor Billy's parents and his sister, they're always hearing about how Billy's not good at school. He does art on his math homework. I have known students like Billy. Have y'all ever had a classmate like Billy? Um... Yes, I have. I'll say. Yes, thank you for that. Yes, I'm actually 
stage? I I definitely uh, I think I probably have, yeah. Yeah. So um, then, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I I've known students like Billy a lot. Um, and so he doesn't quite, he doesn't like follow all the rules necessarily. He doesn't do the work the way the teacher necessarily wants him to. He's what I would call a nice, but not compliant student. And I think compliance is a little overrated, right? And so Billy doesn't play by the rules, but he's doing all this like creative thinking. And it reminded me, I know that you all in your classroom use something called the essential skills and dispositions. And um, out in the Vermont world, we might call these transferable skills. And um, there are four of them. Do you want to name the four essential skills and dispositions for us? Creativity, collaboration, communication, and self-direction. How do you use those in your classroom? We use them in our classroom. So we have these things called PLPs, personalized learning plan. And each of those have a different page and each of our each one of our work goes into each of those different categories, either communication, creativity, uh, collaboration, or self-direction. And so we use essential skills and dispositions every day, whether we notice it or not, even in uh, the listeners' lives or maybe even your lives, I uh, you use it no matter if you notice it or not. So if we do a project, we would put it in our, we would take a picture and put it in our PLPs, like let's say we did one, so we might put it in communication because we communicated or we could put it in collaboration or self-direction, creativity. It get, it fits everything. Right. And then do you, do you have to explain why? Yes. yes. And, and what's that process like? What do you, how do you do that? Um, so you can either write it down or video yourself talking about how it fits into it. So I could be, say we did a project and I put it in creativity and say, we can, we use create, I put this project in creativity because blah, 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 or because we had to be very creative or because we had to be very self-directed or whatever. So. So you do a little reflection. Yeah. So tell me this, if um, we're gonna get back to Billy's booger in a minute, I promise. Um, but if you were to reflect on doing this Vermont Ed Reads podcast recording with me, what essential skill and disposition would you put it in? In your probably, PhD? probably communication because we're communicating a lot. But I think I could put it in uh, self direction because uh, we had to write this. We one. had to write the, all the questions and answer them all by ourselves. And uh, though Miss Bates like did help us a little bit with like with if like that would make sense or not to say even it would not like we're rambling on or whatever but um this would also go in collaboration because we're doing it with you which has been a pleasure but thank you that's really helpful so did this book when you were reading this book did the essential skills and dispositions come to mind for you yes they did uh, uh, a couple that came to mind was creativity because Billy makes the book with all of his creativity and he also uses self-direction because he had to do all by himself with no guidance and had to he communicated his story to other people yeah wow you're right he nailed three of them for sure 
he uh, went to the library, his self-directed, he went to the library and checked out all the books he could on like aliens and mucus and, <laughs> right, and brought them home. Meteorites, all this yeah. stuff. He drafted this beautiful picture book with illustrations. It's very creative, creative use of language. And then um, you're right. It was also about communicating with others through his writing and his images. Um, I have to say that the page that like got me most like <gasps> I didn't laugh at was um, the page, this page, where, where it lays out the grading method. And here's what it says. It says, book contest. The books will be judged in these categories. Neatness, 10 possible points. Spelling, 10 possible points. Vocabulary, 10 possible points. Punctuation, 10 possible points. Grammar, 10 possible points. And then finally, at the very bottom, imagination, 10 possible points. Do you feel like that's a fair grading scheme? for a project like this? No, I don't. I think if um, I did it, I definitely would do it differently. I would put more for imagination because they're only in fourth grade. So how much are they gonna know about grammar? Or how much are they gonna know about all of this? Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, and it, so you were saying, um, what you were saying, Jada, is how much would they even know about those things? Yeah, like how much are they teaching them about this stuff? Obviously, in the project, it was made for Billy. They, uh, the librarian made the contest because they needed something for Billy to get his mind off of, uh, or to fuel all his creativity and imagination. So why have imagination be all the way at down at the bottom as your least priority? Yeah, if they prioritized the imagination a little bit more, maybe twenty points. Right, like maybe twenty points. That would have been more fitting for this book project. I also think about. I know a lot of writers. I've talked to a lot of writers, and the hardest part about writing is coming up with the idea and following through and like coming up with the story, not the grammar and the, and the spelling, right? Like that's why we have editors. That's why you send your book and get an editor to help you with it. And like in many ways, um, focusing on that limits your creativity, your imagination, your capacity to, to, to create something worthwhile and powerful for the world. And, um, and so I guess I just I sort of felt like, wait, what are we what are we hoping our young people do or become if all we want is for them to be neat and tidy and good spellers? Mm -hmm. I think everybody needs to be a little bit messy. Okay, like because life, um, like life, it isn't perfect. It isn't all neat and perfect spelling and perfect grammar and punctuation that's not how life is it's messy and crazy and sometimes even with billy can't keep all those thoughts in yeah i think even a lot of the other kids maybe maybe not just billy would have had more fun and more of an opportunity to win if they did uh is a like the imagination creativity was up higher on the mm -hmm. list yeah they're important 
very important. I do believe sometimes, sometimes, depends on what you're doing. It is creativity and imagination is more important than the grammar and the smelling, spelling. It's not that we should learn those things. They just shouldn't be the only things we learn. Yes, you should you should learn the grammar and punctuation in the spelling because if you're doing like writing something for like a college application uh, application, you don't want to spell <laughs> you don't want to spell like wrong on one of the applications, right? You you need those are essential in life. You need to know how to spell, you need to know how to punctuate stuff. But not in fourth grade. Right. But you also you also need to know how to be cre creative like you don't like as I said like with the college stuff you in to be able to get into college you have to be different yeah but if we're all neat and punctuated and great at spelling and so good at punctuation then what makes us different what makes you know, us that make I, creativity run can I tell you a secret mm -hmm. I used to I used to win spelling bees when I was your age, and um, and now that we have um, uh, spell check and autocorrect, I rely on it too much. I'm a terrible speller now. I used to be such a good speller, but uh, my computer fixes things for me, and it makes me wonder why did I spend all that time learning how to spell words? <laughs> like, was that really the best use of my time? Uh, meanwhile, just writing can get really hard for me because I feel like my grammar has to be perfect and I have to use the right words, but I can't even like formulate the, these important thoughts sometimes because I get hung up on grammar and vocabulary and spelling, not neatness so much, but these other things get in the way. And so I wish I had Billy's capacity to just like think big thoughts and put them down on paper. Blow everything onto a page, but creativity and imagination are really half of the equation to writing. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, so the other thing I really worried about, I mean, I laughed so hard reading this book and I kind of worried about Billy. I, I think he was a little oblivious to the ways in which school just wasn't a good fit for him all the time. And I thought, what, what could it be like? Could we use our imaginations to create a school where Billy felt more included and valued and celebrated for his work, not just from his peers, but from his teachers too, his principal? Yes. What would you change about school to make it so it included all sorts of people, especially people like Billy? I would create like a bit, uh, like a room almost, or like multiple rooms. So it's not confined to one space, but multiple rooms where if a kid needs a break or uh, something is getting too tough for them, they can go in there and express they, their creativity and there be I, I love writing on whiteboards. I don't know, it's a, like a weird thing, but I put like whiteboards and chalkboards on the wall and put, you know, like canvases on the wall. I think that could be really cool. Like putting a bunch of like whiteboards and different like drawing, like the things that you would draw on all around the room. So, and then when somebody needs to go in there, they can draw on the walls and that's how they get every like everything in their brain out everywhere 
and they can hey, I have a whiteboard in my office right here, even though this is my home office. And I bought an enormous whiteboard. You can't see it right now, but um, and I use it for just that purpose. When my brain is too full, I put everything on the whiteboard, right. whether it's to-do lists or ideas or or uh, graphic organizers for my ideas to get them to help them put them in order in some way. So I love that suggestion. I'm going to push back on one thing though. What if it was actually in the classroom and not a separate room? Right. Like in the so classroom. Like you go into that side of the classroom and like draw yeah. out his thoughts. Yes. The only reason I said out in a different room, because I know some people's creativity can get distracting for others. Like when a maybe Billy is doing that on the other side of the room and everybody's heads are turned at Billy because his creativity is amazing. Like staring at him. Or right. like maybe you like to talk when you're being like, oh yeah, and then this, you know, that can be, right, this could be, that could be distracting to the other kids. Or if he wants privacy. Yeah. Here. Or if he wants, yeah, if they want privacy or anything. But I do like the idea. Or like even just having like a little whiteboard on your desk over here and anytime you need to do something little with your hands even like uh like right now I'm like playing with my fingers because you know it helps me focus so sometimes with, with somebody it helps uh, your drawing helps you pay attention to class right uh that might help like a fidget or a, just like all sorts of ways right is there ever something you wish you could change about school to make it feel like more uh welcoming and um for you, I mean, I know you have an awesome teacher, but is there ever like, I just wish this one thing? Um, I feel like it's similar to like what I just said before. Like sometimes I'll like draw on a whiteboard because we're like be playing with my fingers or like picking my nails or whatever. And this 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 face uh, or the teacher would be like, don't do that, stop. But then it's harder to focus because now I'm not trying to do that thing. I'm not, my, all of my attention is not trying to like doodle or uh, do something that will help me focus, but it could see, it'd be seen as something that could help me not focus. I think yeah. it's different for each kid. Mm, thank you. How about you, Emma? Um, I agree. I feel like sometimes when you're like antsy, um, and then sometimes a teacher might be like, stop moving, like sit still, you know, that can be difficult for a student or like, I really like the smart boards that class has. And I feel like yeah. if we could use them, I feel like that'd be really fun. Just yeah. sit, just say, I love the whiteboard, the, the smart boards. They're I really, really cool. Wanna, I really want to get one for my room because <laughs> I, I love them so much. Yeah. You get to go up there during math and write 17 on the board. Right. Just like, I just feel like I have all the power when I yes. have one of those whiteboard markers or the smartboard markers in my hand because I can uh, just psh, 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 do whatever I want. Yes. Because, <laughs> because uh, Miss Bates is always like, okay, he wants to come up and write this on the board. Everyone's and then everyone's hands goes up immediately. But then she asks to like explain something and everyone's like, no, I don't want to do <laughs> I'm too cool for, for school, right? But well, well, except for Emma, I'm still up. But like, if but if it's everyone's turn to go on the whiteboard, everyone's like, everyone's hand is up. Me. So I think that could be an, actually a good teaching strategy for yeah. 
the inclusive. Yes, oh, the no. whiteboard marker. Right. So <laughs> this is this is a tip for teachers if they have a whiteboard. Then if you want your teach your students to be more like involved, just be like, okay, who wants uh, a smart board? Marker? Who wants to write on the smart board for this? <laughs> so you hear that, folks? More smart boards in schools. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. I love to write on a whiteboard too. I can totally feel that. And the sense of power you get, just like all that color and Yeah, um, because the teacher normally does it. So you feel like the big man once you get up. You get feel like the big boss when you get up there. <laughs> so my I have two more questions for you. And um I guess uh, one of them is just why should teachers use picture books with middle school kids? Why use picture books with, you know, you all can clearly read chapter books. Why <laughs> picture books with six, seven, fifth, six, seventh, eighth graders? Go ahead. Oh, okay. So to find, so to find theme is a really important thing, but also for skills like so wait, 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 slow down, Emma. You, are you saying, um, because I'm so excited about what you're saying, are you saying like you, uh, one of the skills you have to learn is how to find, how to figure out what the theme of a text is? Yes, but other skills are a lot of picture books and Emma also attaches poems. Since they're so short, you have to be concise. You have to use language. You have to use figurative language and themes to kind of like bring everything together but in a kind of short way. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them connect to the real world. Picture books, I feel like for older kids, meant for older kids, are specifically positioned so that they can kind of maybe introduce like maybe climate change or social justice um, to kids in a kind of way as it's not so harsh. Um, you can teach skills, through picture books and you can teach reality and you can show children that this is going on in the world. This must be brought to attention and there's things you can do about it. Like yeah. we just finished a unit on child labor or we're now starting a unit on world issues and we're talking about, you know, a hamburger, all these different things, all these different places it had to travel before it gets into your mouth. And then think about how many hamburgers you've had in your life or Miss Bates poured, sorry, I'm like, Miss Bates poured like popcorn and she goes, this is someone in Africa. And it was a little, and it was like, this is someone in the United States. And it was like a bunch. It was like a, it was like waterfall. I actually kind of liked the noise. It was a nice noise, but it was a lot more. I don't understand. I, okay. So what we did, so Miss Bates had a bowl and she had like plain popcorn and she was showing us like how the like the impact the un environmental impact your of footprint like, uh, yeah uh, the footprint of each like a different country so we have a, a place in Africa and she poured a little in so like the the popcorn represented the amount of uh, effect that the impact footprint. they had on the world yeah, and then the United and States was at least like a five bit. times more. So our impact on carbon footprint, say, or on deforestation. Ah, now I get it. Thank you. It was a very cool exercise. 
So picture books, what, what I hear you saying, I'm going to just summarize, is that they um, both introduce and help you practice skills in like a compact format. They allow you to sort of, because it's not a chapter book big that doesn't take forever. Yeah, it's right. not a chapter book. You don't have 200 pages to explain your thesis or your theme. You know, you have to do it in 10 pages. Yeah. 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 I'm sure you, Jada, what would you add to why picture books with middle school students? Yeah, I think picture books are uh, sometimes a little more powerful than the longer books because you have to be quick and concise uh, and get your point across faster because with longer books, they drag on and on because they have to be a certain amount of pages to be considered a chapter book. They actually just go on and on and on and on. But with the picture books, it gets to the point fast but it also is really deep. And with figurative, uh, with picture books, you can use more figurative language without feeling like you're just compacting a bunch and bunch into each chapters. So I think with the chapter books, it's like more like a long, long, like elongated, I don't know. So it's harder and it like slips out of your mind almost because with picture books yeah. it's short so like I feel like it sticks in your you mind almost miss the theme sometimes because it's like so dragged on and I feel like sometimes there's a little fluff in there that it's like so what's the main point of this like why are we reading this what's the point and you both are readers so what do I do I'm, I've been a librarian at uh, a K to six school and then a seven to 12 school. And when I pull picture books out with six, seventh, eighth graders, there's a groan. Ugh, we're too old for this. What do you say to kids who think they're too old for picture books or even adults who think they're too old for picture books? No, you're never too old for picture books, children. No, no. you can look way deeper into them though into picture books and find amazing themes and connections to the real world that you might not see in long books because you're too focused on reading them or being like, I finished this 300 page book or like there's so much additional words because they have to be long. Just a bunch of they don't see them, right? You don't see the Yeah, like, um, like picture books, they have a good message and a short amount of words. So you don't, so you don't have to read a 100 page book to get the same information or message that you get in a in a picture book. Um, so there's funny kind of picture books like Billy's Booger, but there's also picture books like We Are the Water Protectors or um, the This Is Our Town that give you more information than you would expect them to you think you read a picture book and you're like you pick up a picture book like because most people think they're for kids so they think they're all fun and games but or the books we read in library sometimes they appear like it began with a page like sometimes book. those books look like they're just going to be light because they're picture books they're actually really heavy and deep and you have to think about them longer than you you think you would have to like there's this mm -hmm. book called wish and it used personification to show uh, yes. the, the refugees journey and it just like, this took a long time or this book journey we had to read it like three times to actually get to the main point yeah. of the wish book 
Yeah, we read it three times. Or this book, Journey, which has no words whatsoever, but has one of like such a deep theme. And you have to really look for it. Like it's very difficult to see. There's no words at all. <laughs> Emma and Data, I cannot thank you enough for spending an hour talking about picture books with me. I learned so much for, from you and I'm I'm so grateful for this chance to um, peer a little bit into your classroom, to hear about these books and your perspectives on them and your perspectives on reading and picture books in general. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We had, yeah. I had a blast. It was very fun to share our perspectives on this. We can talk about picture books for hours and hours more. That's can talk about Let's do it again sometime. And I, I can't wait. Uh, to, to hear about this showing up on your PLP. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe. Probably. I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this has been an episode of Vermont Ed Reads talking about what Vermont's educators and students are reading. Thank you to Jada Greeley and Emma Anderson for appearing on the show and talking with me about four picture books. Something Happens in Our Town, Ida Always, We Are Water Protectors, and Billy's Booger. If you're looking for a copy of these books, check your local library. Special thanks to Audrey Coleman, audio engineer extraordinaire. To find out more about Vermont Ed Reads, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit vtedreads.tarrantinstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at vtedreads. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.